Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I am your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest and a good old friend, uh, Mr. John Cognac. John, how's it going, man? Hey, it's good to be here. I'm excited about the topic that um, we kind of plan to discuss and think a lot of good can come out of it. But yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the topic uh, a little later, but I love having topics where, you know, you and I both discuss this issue in person. It's something that we kind of talk about on our own time, or at least back when you were living here. And now we can kind of put it uh, in the media too, and talk about it in in this setting on this platform. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited for the topic. Uh, but before we jump ahead uh, too far, uh, I'm going to make a couple of announcements at the beginning because I, I watch the podcast analytics through the streaming platforms. And statistically, you listeners out there don't really get to the end of the episode. I, <laughs> I could follow that. So I want to make the announcements now, uh, just so you know. Um, please like and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you can find podcasts. Please share with a friend. And again, please leave your reviews on the Purple Podcast app on your iPhones. It's through iTunes. Um, I do want to read out one review. I got one review from last week or since last week. So uh, that's great. And uh, I'm going to read it out right now. The subject line is great podcast. And it is given by uh, someone named Blessed. But there's a number five uh, in lieu of one of the one of the S's. So uh, and it, uh, the review says, loving the podcast, brother. Definitely a must listen, especially for the Romanian Americans. Keep up the it says keep up the God work, but I'm assuming it's good work or God work. Either one works, and it says be blessed. So thank you, blessed. Um, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you guys all listen as well. So please tap the stars on the podcast app, and please, if you want, leave a review. I'll read it out here if there aren't too many. And yeah, thank you guys, and uh, I will make this uh, similar announcement towards the end of the episode. So um, all right, back to John. John, before we get started, before we jump into this topic, um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for, uh, for for those of the listeners that don't know you? Yeah, so like Marcus said, I'm, my name is John Koniak. Um, so I'm, I, I, w- I used to live in Orange County. Um, used to attend the, Roma- the one of the Romanian churches there. Um, are we giving names, Marcus, or are we just keeping it? Oh, you, you can give names. I gave names. Okay, okay. So I used to go to Bethel, <laughs> Romanian Pentecostal Church in Stanton. Um, and I just recently, yeah, I've been, I pretty much grown up in that area and was basically raised in a church over there. And, um, I recently moved to Seattle, Washington, relocated here with my wife and, uh, been here for a little over six months, six months or something like that. But, um, it's been great just trying to get used to the weather, but, and that's, you know, work in progress, but, uh, yeah, I, um, as, as, as for work, I work as a registered nurse, um, and I've worked in quite a few, um, settings, you know, hospitals and, and detox. Uh, now I work in a jail. I used to work at a, um, a shelter for, uh, kids that were taken away from their parents. Uh, so a lot of work in mental health and, and, and medical, medical related work, but yeah, that's, that's me. Um, I like long walks on the beach and <laughs> we won't go there. We'll, we'll, we'll stick to what's, what's, uh, what's pertinent to the podcast today. 
Absolutely. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, the topic of this podcast episode is going to be related to something that not only have you experienced through your or throughout your career, uh, but it's something that we've talked about in the past. And this is the topic of a very broad subject that is mental health. Now, I know mental health can be applied in different ways. There's mental health in the church. There's mental health. uh, I mean, we did a a burnout episode towards the beginning of this uh, project and that's kind of related to that, but uh, we're going to talk about mental health related to what you've experienced in the um, various medical-related jobs that you've had throughout your schooling and throughout your professional career. So uh, we're going to talk about that. I know the conversations that we had in person, uh, we, w- it would, we would ask this question, like, is it more you know, mental health in a Christian, the, the mental deterioration, the diseases, the, um, the different issues that we have, is it more clinically based or is it more spiritually based? Now, um, you kind of argued it was more clinically based. You've seen a lot of different things. You've obviously have the education behind it. Uh, for me, I've always kind of leaned towards spiritually based and uh, we'll get into more of that um, later in the episode, and we'll talk about why. But, uh, John, let's start things off with uh, one of the first jobs you had. I remember you had this job, uh, I think it was before you started your uh, MSN, right? This is uh, at the Detox Center. This is when you were still getting your bachelor's, or um, am, I, am I wrong? Yeah, this was actually after, um, after I finished my, my – I was working in public health after I finished my bachelor's degree. It was kind of the, mo- the first job I had related to – what I studied and it was working as a um, detox technician, detoxification technician. Um, That was like my official title. And um, specifically uh, we worked at a, I worked at a place down in Orange County that um, uh, basically was a private, uh, where basically people who were trying to come off of various substances, various drugs, alcohol, meth, heroin, um, benzodiazepines, which is, is basically benzos is a shortened name for it. It's a class of drugs such as like Xanax and they're, they're sedatives basically. Uh, and they're hugely abused out on the streets or in the community. Um, so anyone trying to come off of any substance would, would go through there. They would spend like a week. Um, de- well, actually depending on what substance they're coming off of, they would spend the week there and, uh, my job was basically to keep notes on them, monitor their vital signs, um, talk with them, keep them preoccupied, encourage them, um, and then give them the medications at appointed times, like withdrawal medications, so that they don't go into a full-blown seizure. And basically, so their come off of the drugs, their detox is more pleasant because it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know, and a lot of your listeners know it's, it's just hell. It's hell when someone's trying to come off of whatever substance they're, they're, you know, they're with, they're, they're withdrawing from, um, you get body aches, you can have seizures, like severe body aches, nausea, vomiting, you can't hold anything down, diarrhea, um, and just mad panic attacks, uh, anxiety, just, just everything. It's, it's, it's hell. So yeah, that's, I, I did that for about two years. Um, yeah. And uh, so I know you were working there, uh, you know, for, like you said, two years, and you shared uh, quite a few um, stories to go along with that. Uh, before we get a little more into this episode, uh, what is like, what are a couple like of the craziest stories that you've experienced uh, regarding <laughs> the, the, the patients that you had to work with? Man, um, people, you know, when I tell people about 
some of my ex like work experience. Everyone wants to know that, you know, and I get it. Um, oh man, there's one that comes to mind where I almost died. Um, you almost died or he yeah, almost died? I, I almost died. I mean, it, it was the hand of God that protected me. Like, so, um, I mean, it's going to take some time to develop, but, um, but real quick, basically I was picking up a client from his home in Orange County. And normally we don't do that. We, we have a driver that would go pick them up or their families will bring them in or their spouses will bring these people in. But this guy was younger and I don't know, they had some kind of deal with the family. Like, Hey, we'll provide the driver to come pick up your son and bring him to detox. So you can complete this treatment, you know, to come off of whatever he's coming off of, which was methamphetamine. And, um, he's normal. You know, I, mean, I pick him up. His dad's happy that his son is finally, you know, his dad looks super distraught on the way. We're having conversations, you know, and I'm trying to understand him, got to get to know him. And as we're approaching the house, um, where he's going to do his treatment at, um, he starts saying we really weird stuff, something about police watching. And, um, um, he started getting really paranoid, but me, I was pretty still new at that time. And I didn't understand what was going on. He was basically, he had just used meth before me picking him up and the whole, he was starting to get really paranoid, which is part of, you know, one of the symptoms of, of being on meth. And, um, and we get to the house and, um, I get out of the car to open the gate of, of where we're going to park a car inside the property. And, um, I turn back around after I swing these gates are big gates. There's two of them. I turn back around and this guy, he jumps from the passenger seat into the driver's seat. And he, and as soon as I see him, I'm like, Oh no, this is going to be bad. So I run over there. And right when I get there, he switches from park to drive. The car is still running. This is a push to start car. Um, and I'm hanging off on the side. I grab him, but he manages to switch into drive. And I'm hanging off the side of the car while he slams on the accelerator. And, and, and at that same time, as the car launches forward, and I'm hanging on the side. I, I, I somehow, I don't know how everything slowed down. Like I saw every, you know, you see those movies and everything mm -hmm. slows down at this really critical point at the moment. Well, that's how my world began. Uh, everything became super slow motion. And I, I was able to get my foot on the brake. So the car comes to a sudden stop and we're basically trying to fight for control of, uh, of switching the car from park to drive, to, to stop the vehicle, or at least, you know, I couldn't get to the push to start, or I wasn't, I don't even think I was looking at that or thinking of that. And uh, anyways, I end up being able to kind of bear hug him and, and switch it into park. And he was fighting me and it was, it was insane, but there was people, we were in an alleyway and there was people who were walking by and school had just let out. There's like this mom walking down the alleyway with her, her daughter, and or a grandmother with her with her it, her daughter-in-law and um i don't know i was able to hold basically bear hug him and all the commotion had uh alerted my other coworker to come outside and he kind of helped the whole situation he um we basically got him out of the car calmed him down we ended up 
turning him away because he was just like a full-blown psychotic episode. He thought that the FBI were after him, that we were part of the whole, um, you know, the whole plan to keep him, to lock him up or I don't know what he thought, but yeah, you know, I'm getting the, I'm just getting super, a bunch of adrenaline pumping through my body now because it was just like a crazy moment. So yeah, that was a crazy, that was, that was probably, I think that would top off the list. And I thought I was going to die, but because the car was going, I was hanging out on the side. It was, it was insane. But I learned, I, that was a good lesson, lesson for me to learn, you know, don't, don't leave the car running with a, a, a drug addict who is coming off of meth. <laughs> and it's crazy because like we know, we know the uh, outcome and the consequences of drug abuse and all of that. But man, to, to turn that violent and just to get that, I mean, it sounded like, yeah, obviously he was psychotic. He was, um, I mean, I don't think you guys had a proper diagnosis, but you could have, he could have fallen along the lines of, you know, schizophrenic, especially since you're getting paranoid and you think everyone's out to get you and all that. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, some drugs can do that to you. Uh, it can mess with your brain chemicals, but uh, like I said earlier, I don't know, man. I, I, I do think there is a spiritual influence to, to something like this. Uh, but we, we don't have to come down with a verdict now. We can, we can, we can do that towards the end because <laughs> yeah. I know we're going to have a lot of different things. But uh, what is like, uh, before we move on to the, to, the, to the next part, but what is like a recurring issue you saw at the, at, the, uh, at the clinic, at the detox center? I know you said, you mentioned earlier to me over the years that uh, you had a lot of recurring patients. They would get out. They would come back. Uh, how is that issue? How did, how did you see that issue? And why do you think uh, most of your patients weren't able to to be set free from this? Stay clean. Yeah, so it's what it basically taught me is that once you're an addict, it's very, it's very, very like the 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 amount of people that come out of addiction to any substance, whether it's alcohol um, and anything else, um, it's very hard to get free from that because once you're an addict, your your whole like, and I, I'm learning this in, in the schooling I'm doing now, um, your, your brain pathways and the way your brain processes things and everything, it's totally, it's different. It changes. So you can't just stop. So we had people in there, um, that were there for like coming like 20 plus times, you know, and these are like people like 28 years old, you know, 20 plus times in treatment. Can you imagine that? It's to the point where their insurance was cutting them off and they were just going to one from one insurance to another or their parents and all their family or friends put, came together to put money for this. It's very expensive. And um, yeah, just it, it's, it's something that it's only the hand of God, only a miracle can, can free you, can, can take you out of, um, can break this, this cycle of addiction, this addiction in your life. Um, and yeah, what that's, that's the, really the big lesson. It's if, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be, I learned that it's therapy can help. Uh, and and this place had a lot of different, they had like harp therapy. They had people come in that did, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, they put needles, uh, what's that called? Um, acupuncture, acupuncture. Yeah. So, so I, they would put needles around the patient's ears and and they somehow related it. I I never looked into the science behind it, but somehow related it to how it helps with addiction. Um, they would have, 
art therapy. They would have all these things that therapists come in, they would talk to them, have groups one-on-one and and a therapy one-on-one and in groups. And these things can, and, and man can only help so much. Man has a limitation in what he can do to help his fellow human being. But at the end of the day, end of the day, it's only God's hand that can break this cycle of addiction. So that's, that's a takeaway that I've come away with, uh, working, you know, in that, uh, environment. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that it was kind of both. It's a little hand in hand. Um, we know that, uh, you know, the chemical, uh, the, the chemistry in the brain or, or actually, I don't, I don't know this. This is, this is stuff that you've told me. This is stuff that I've heard, but, uh, you know, spiritual oppression can have, you know, physical manifestations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you, me- if you mess with the physical, if you mess with, um, just how you perceive things, uh, with, uh, how sober you are, uh, if you're, you know, if you're guarded, if you're mentally guarded, uh, we know in, you know, first Peter says that, you know, Satan's prowling around like a hungry lion ready to devour you. So it's, you know, the point, the point of that, that passage is saying, you know, be sober minded, be sober minded, be sober minded. But as soon as you're letting those, uh, those walls down, you're opening yourself to a lot of, um, negative influence. And, uh, we see that, uh, manifest in these patients. We see that in the psychotic episodes in these violent episodes. So it's, it's important to keep that in mind. And it's, it's, I, I know we could talk a little bit more about this, but I want to, I want to get a move on, on, on the, on the next one, just cause, um, due to time constraints, but so you had that. And then, uh, while you were still living in California, you had this, uh, second job. Can you talk a little bit about that, that second job that you had? Yeah. Um, I also worked for the County, the County, uh, Orange County had mm-hmm. a, um, had a shelter for uh, kids, about a hundred kids from like basically from one month of age to 17 years of age. And these are kids that were taken away from the parents, right? We all heard of Barnevernet <laughs> in the last yep. few years. So this was like a type of Barnevernet, but a, a U.S. Uh, you know, under the uh, public health department of the County of Orange. But um, we weren't that crazy. We, we <laughs> you know, I would see, uh, and I would basically, basically, I was a registered nurse there, and uh, I was working with these kids that would be brought in by social workers or kids that were pulled away from their families by the court because their parents were neglecting them or uh, in, in various ways or abusing them, whether it would be physically or by not providing them proper health care. Um, and then I would just be able to work with, uh, I would basically provide all the health care uh, needs to all these kids and um, had a lot of conversations with them. A lot of them come from, came from very bad neighborhoods, bad environments, um, had a lot of trauma that was done to them. And uh, it was just really, it was really sad to see you. Um, I had kids, you know, just break down crying, telling me about how they were suicidal, how um, how they, they had a stepmother, a stepfather, and that stepmother, stepfather ended up abusing them. And there was, it was like their only like person that showed them love in their whole life. So yeah, it was like the whole mental health aspect, but, and there were some drugs there too, that we dealt with some, you know, some of the older boys, uh, closer to 17 years of age, but, um, a lot of like behavioral disorders there, um, mood disorders, like depression, anxiety, that was seen a lot more there. 
And yeah, I had a lot of opportunity to sit, sit across them while providing for their medical care. You know, for example, they scraped their knee at the playground that they had at the shelter. And while providing care for them, I was able to build a relationship and just show them and basically encourage them and, and to show them that, you know, their value doesn't come from their boyfriend, you know, dumping them on Snapchat and, and then just cheating on them. And it, it just, it, it was, it was one of my favorite jobs that I ever had because I feel like I did the most amount of good work there. Um, so you mentioned that, um, so you were working with minors exclusively, right? These yeah, were just yeah, kids at the shelter. And uh, you, you mentioned that their broken home life uh, was a big leading cause oh, to, huge, their, huge. to their issues. Um, why might you say that from a, you know, from a clinical aspect and you know, combined with the spiritual aspect? Why, why, why might you say that uh, those lives that they, were, they grew up in, the environment, their setting, their parental figures, uh, why would you say that um, it had such a negative impact on how they grew up and how they are today? Yeah, it, it really, because kids have a lot of needs, you know, I don't have any kids of my own, not yet, but it, it, we all know this, it's all common, you know, it's all common knowledge. Um, kids have so many needs, they have the need to be loved, protected, they need to have someone to look up to, uh, someone to trust. And if you know, imagine someone growing up in an environment where their own the source of the person that's putting food on the table for them, if they're even putting food on the table for them, this person is consistent, consistently beating them or, uh, or degrading them because of, of their weight, for example, or um, uh, just even physically abusing them, like sexually abusing them. Um, so this person that they look up to um, is, is completely a, a demon in human form to them and they're they're raised like that and when you're young that's when your brain is developing okay that's what i'm learning more and more now in my studies that i'm doing now um your brain when you're young is so susceptible and in a lot like the majority of the mental health field psychiatrists uh marriage and family therapists psychoanalysts they all say the same thing man uh, a huge reason for why there's such a, a boom of of mental health issues today is because of people's just uh, just really bad upbringings. You know, it's and, and and that just leads me to say, it's so sad that that it seems that the family today is being like by our society in general is being degraded. You know, the family unit is like it's like ah, oh, you know, whatever. You know, it's like the, the there's no focus on the family unit. And that is such a huge protective factor for mental health, mental illness down the and down the road. It's a huge, it's a huge thing. And yet, you know, our focus is not on family stability, on on homes where there's a mother and a fa- loving mother and a lo- loving father. Um, that stuff is lacking more than ever today. And that's and my my theory and what a lot of the people in this field that I work with, they all think the fall they, they they all think the same thing. It's it's really the family, it, it's just a bad upbringing. And it's interesting that you bring that up because we live in an age where the family unit, the design for a family, is being influenced by um, 
polyamory. It is influenced by third wave feminism. It is it is influenced by um, the LGBTQ community, and we see this um, more frequently in a lot of the families that are going up. and And not only are they happening in the real world, but they're being uh, promoted as well. We see commercials. We see um, different different other media uh, mediums of promotion and. Uh, you know, you look at you look to the Word of God, and you see the design that God had for a marriage and God had for a family. And uh, you know, you said like the the father, the man in the in the marriage, the man in the family is the uh, spiritual leader of that family. He is the head of that family, and he is responsible to care for his family from a spiritual aspect. And as soon as you take that out, as soon as you uh, kind of divert from what God designed and what God had planned. You start seeing issues, and you know, unfortunately, we see a lot of kids uh, going, you know, growing up like this. And uh, you know, I've heard someone say this, and it makes total sense. But like, they say that you know, the sins of the father are are what's uh, spiritually compromising to a family. That's what allows certain things to come in, certain demons, certain, you know, all these different things. And like you said, a lot of this is physical stuff, like you know, sexual abuse or uh, you know, neglecting or all these different things. But all of these physical things have spiritual consequences, and you see that, and I'm sure you've seen that in a lot of the um, the patients that you had at that uh, at that center. And uh, it's you know it's sad to see. It's so sad to see. And um, as we so so you you inherited a lot of these kids. You worked with them. You talked with them. You sort of counseled them. Um, what was your approach? I know you talked about what they lacked growing up, but what was your approach to? counseling them to helping them get back on track and um what would you suggest if someone's going through a similar uh experience like um well, well there's a difference between my approach and and um someone who's going oh someone who's in in in, in a similar sh- shoes that i was that um yeah it, when you're dealing with with okay. children like this like what what would be the yeah. plan going forward to help the you know rehabilitate them yeah um so my approach was um, get to know the kids and spend time like the other nurses I work with, you know, uh, we had a lot of kids and a lot of needs. So, so they try to funnel the kids, you know, like a one after there, let's go, let's go, let's go next one, next one, next one. And then one of the benefit of doing that is that you get to relax, you know, when the work is done, you get to hang out and, uh, get on your phone and stuff like that. But it's really spending time with the kids and, and, and showing them. And even if they, you know, it was, it was simple stuff that I was doing. It was like, that's a, such a chill job because you're like pulling um, like splinters out of some kid's finger, <laughs> you know, is that, is that simple, but, but you do it slow. You do it like you, you show them that you care about them. You talk with them and the more you talk with them, the more they share with you and you build off of that. And then you start, especially if they're there for a longer period of time, they start recognizing you and they start telling you more stuff. So it's really building a relationship with them. You know, you're, you're not, you can't do a one hit wonder on these kids. You know, sometimes there's people that are super open, you know, kids that are super open, they'll tell you about a certain issue, but, um, other times it just, it's just spending time with them and then feeding off of them. Obviously, you know, as we're not supposed to share our faith and, and try to convert people in our workplace. But, um, when kids bring up that they're, you know, they're, they felt like suicidal, then I would start saying stuff about their identity, you know, that they weren't created that, that, uh, that, that the reason that they even have a, a, a heartbeat that they, the reason they're even breathing, it's, 
it's not for someone else's approval. It's because they were created and they're there for a reason. And a lot of these kids, man, they just sat there listening to me. Like, like this was the first time they ever heard something like that because you, you have to realize like these kids were not born in, in Christian families. They didn't were raised going to Sunday school. So this is like, this is like, wow. Like it totally, like it totally like expands. They're, they're living in this box of, Oh, you know, she did this to me. He did that to me. And then I want to kill, I want to go shoot up the school, which is a true story. <laughs> There's someone's going to shoot up Santa Ana high school, 15 years old. And, um, and they're thinking of this and their thinking is in this box. And when you break, when you kind of talk to them about their value as a human being and how they're created for a purpose and that God loves them and there's, and he has a plan for their lives. It's just like, it just totally shatters their whole worldview that they had to that point. So my whole viewpoint was spend time with them, get to know them. And then don't, when you see an opportunity, just take it. These kids, you know, they're not going to be like, why are you telling me about this? No, they're, they're really open, especially if they're in the state of they're sad or they want to talk, they want love, they want someone, they want to see that someone cares about them, that they have a connection and that they're not going to be like the other people who supposedly loved them in the past who, who did harm to them, you know? So, um, I think that was my approach and, and just let, letting the Holy Spirit lead, you know, going in, going in before and just praying, God, just use me as an instrument use me as a tool i don't know what these kids need i'm just i'm just i have so little experience like i don't know what to say i don't have the perfect words but just use the the little words that i say and anoint them and use them for for your kingdom use them to to lift this person to give them life and and god does through, through the simplicity through our simple words god is just doing amazing things and that's that's what we got to do. We, we got to just go out there and, and do the work because ultimately it's going to be God that does the fixing. God's that's going to change the lives, not us. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing to hear. And I think now we understand why you said it was the most rewarding place that you were um, going going through these different things. And it's important to, to recognize that. It's important to be there. And uh, I'm glad that you know you were there to help those kids to get them through that to to be an encouragement to be a light in a world full of darkness um, from their perspective from their worldview so uh, we just got to hope that God continues to use us put us in different positions where we can serve him where we can uh, you know talk about our faith or we can you know be kind to them and, and show them love if especially if they were lacking that uh, growing up so um, now let's go to the to the Last point over here, this last job and most recent job that you had working at the prison. Now, uh, this is the, if I'm not mistaken, this is the job that you got right when you moved to Seattle. And yeah. uh, and let's talk a little bit about that because I know we, we kind of mentioned, you know, the, the, the drug detox center, the uh, underprivileged ch- children, and then now we're going to go into this uh, prison uh, setting. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so you're right. Yeah, I, th- this was the job I was waiting for. Um before I wanted to get the okay and, and everything to clear my background before I moved here. But um, yeah, it's a totally different, ba- it's a totally different ball game here. Um, you know, people are adults, they're violent. Uh, and, and a lot of the, the mental health things that you see here, the mental health problems are much worse because a lot of these people are homeless 
and they're decompensated. They've been off medications. They've been living in the streets, using drugs consistently. Uh, if they're women, they've been basically selling their bodies for, for drugs. So it's just a lot. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess of people are coming in there just really messed up. And, and actually just being in jail just saves a lot of people. Um, but because they take, we take them from a worse environment, but the sad thing is, and, and, you know, one, we can talk about jail reform when it comes to mental health. It's like someone who is in a full blown psychotic, someone who's arrested and who's a full blown psychotic episode, you locking them up in a cell by themselves is basically making them worse. You know, it's something we talk about with my coworkers. It's, it's not helping. And I think the future will, 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 you know, people will come in together and, and officially change that. Um, it's just so different, man. There's, and I see more of what you, uh, spiritual oppression here than I did anywhere else uh, because people are so far gone here. Um, I, I mean, I, there's so much, there's so much I can go into. Um, um, this may be like a good leeway into like spiritual verse, uh, medical, you know, what causes, what's the, what differentiates something like a mental health illness? Uh, is it spiritual related or is it, is it, uh, cl clinically medically related that this was probably a good time to transition there. Yeah. So that was the overarching question we wanted to ask. That's the conversation we've had over the years. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's something that I've thought about. Obviously I don't have the background to comment on this and I'm very, um, particular to, you know, not talk about things that I don't have experience in. That's why, you know, on this podcast, I have guests who have experience in these topics. I try not to act as the expert. Um, but from what I've seen, not only, you know, not only like you're, you're, you're talking about cellmates, you're talking about, a you know, abused children, drug addicts, from what I've seen within the church and within, um, you know, people who grew up in Christian families and their exposure to uh, to sin, them opening their, their lives up to sin, we see uh, what impact that has on them. We see the, uh, the spiritual constraints that they, that they suffer, that their family suffers. And that's why I've always kind of, uh, you know, kind of believed in that, kind of took that road because not only do I think, um, you know, we are chained because of uh, this issue, but I do believe that God can break those chains if we have faith, if we submit to Him, if uh, once we are, once we are, you know, died and born again through Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ and His uh, death and resurrection. So that's why I kind of, you know, always stood by this. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you know you have a little more experience on this topic, but if there's one point, and you can relate it to any experience that you had in any of these uh, three positions that you held, um, what what would be an argument for? you know, this issue being more medically slash clinically based? Yeah. So, so I first want to clarify, you know, I, I don't think that mental health, mental illness is, is more physical, uh, more of what you call the chemical imbalance than spiritual. At the end of the day, um, I don't know a hundred percent, but I, I do 
admit that there is a spiritual component to it. Some people, it's it, their their mental illness comes from a spiritual oppression, and another one is because of certain uh, of certain physical uh, elements. Um, and then I'd also want to clarify that, um, and I want to clear up something which a lot of people commonly say, but is not true. Um, it's actually just a hypothesis. Um, it's the whole chemical imbalance theory. Like that has never been proven. Um, it's something that um, there's absolutely no, there's no a blood draw that you can do to, oh, this guy has a, a chemical imbalance. It's all a hypothesis. And um, even, you know, uh, and people say all the time, people report, oh, he has a, it's a chemical imbalance. That's why you're depressed right now. But it's, it's never been proven. And even psychiatrists, psychiatrists today who deal with this all the time, they, they would admit, actually, I was on a website recently and there was a conversation between two psychiatrists who were discussing this. Like, how did the, how did the public come to this uh, common phrase? Like, oh, it's a chemical imbalance. And they were talking amongst themselves saying that, you know, I think the mental health fields, psychiatry didn't do a good job with dispelling that say, hey, actually, we don't know. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, now I'm sorry, I forgot what your question was. Oh, what's one. Well, before I go back to that question, it's interesting that you brought that up, uh, you know, in, in a hypothesis, something that has, has yet to be proven, but is, um, maybe pseudo universally accepted. Uh, because for example, like for me, like I, I thought that was the thing, you know, that's something yeah, that I always heard about. Do. Yeah. And the thing, what's interesting is, and I think this is rooted in um, liberal theology, because we see it, we see it a lot. If you go back a couple hundred years and you look at these different, uh, you know, quote unquote, Christian universities, they try to take, they try to move away from everything that's biblical, everything that's spiritual, and they try to uh, prove it using other methods. And the biggest thing that we can think of is the theory of evolution, uh, something that's not only widely accepted, but taught uh, in our education systems, or I'd like to call our indoctrination systems, uh, because unfortunately that's what we have now uh, in this country. So that that's going on, and things like this. And from from what I've learned, and you know, the research that I've done is that um, the reason why we hear all these different things and it's universally accepted, even though it's not quite proven yet, is because these are the guys that are getting published. Even in, in even in Christian settings, um, if you're going to a Christian university. And it's not it's not like one like a you know very structurally sound doctrinally sound seminary. If you're going to some you know getting your theology mm-hmm. degree somewhere else, you're not your your th- your research your, your things aren't published unless it's a little more out there. It's quote unquote outside the box, mm-hmm. and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take God out of everything, and we see a lot of these liberal the- theologians. And not only today, I'm not I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about even starting like a hundred years ago. Uh, one of the first guys, um, his name was Rudolf Boltman. And he kind of, uh, you know, was involved in the early 1900s, and he was the one kind of drawing away from scripture. And uh, he got to the point where he didn't believe in the, you know, the virgin birth. They all try to, they try to explain it with science, but they were still, you know, theologians, uh, you know, based on their title. But I think that's what's going on. I think that things like these, uh, especially in the medical community, are being promoted because they want to draw attention away from the spiritual aspect of things yeah you, uh go ahead yeah you raise a valid point because you know everything in the in the current um the way the whole medical industry is they try to explain everything from the biomedical perspective and they don't leave any room for anything else 
And I mean, I think that's fundamentally fundamentally flawed because if you're true, truly doing science, you have to be open to any possibility. You have to be open to, hey, is this caused by this or by this? Rather than just saying, no, it, it can't be anything, uh, anything, anything that we can't test with our uh, through a blood sample or you know what I mean? Like, it, it's the biomedical approach that it just denies everything else, anything spiritually related, anything. Nope, it's not. There's no spiritual thing involved. It's just here and now and physically what we can touch. Um, and it's funny because they, they claim to be uh you know science based but they rule out all possibilities and science you're supposed to not have a small sample size you're supposed to you know expand your different possibilities and uh different uh possible outcomes and you ask uh you know ask one of these guys like how do you know how are you agnostic how are you atheist how do you uh can you prove that god doesn't exist and they and they can't and ba based off their scientific methodology if they were to follow that uh you know based on uh you know, Christianity, all, all these different things, they wouldn't be able to prove that God doesn't exist and that would contradict them. So they're almost contradicting themselves. Uh, but unfortunately, we live in a corrupt world in these corrupt systems that only publish the lies rather than the truth. Yeah, they publish things that match with their their theories and what they're teaching and they do away with everything that that contradicts them, you know, and they ignore that. And then that's how you end up having a lot of uninformed and brainwashed people. So I know we kind of deviated from uh, the topic there, but uh, my initial question was uh, how, so, so if you were to argue in favor of okay. medically and clinically wow. uh, based issues, how, uh, what, what's one or two things that you would bring up? Yeah. So here's a good one. Um, you know, when I was working in the ICU, um, this was in California, um, people who are very, very sick that need like that critical care. Um, there's something called in the medical field, it's called ICU delirium. Okay. Delirium basically means like this confusion. Uh, it, it, you basically lose track of who you are, where you are and, and what's going on around you and people that are very sick oftentimes and, and their sleep wake, uh, it happens because their sleep wake cycles are constantly being interrupted. You can't get like a normal, you know, eight hours sleep or even six hours because you're constantly being interrupted in the middle of the night to be woken up for a blood pressure, for a blood draw, for a certain treatment, for medication, this and that. So it gets them to the point where they're so tired and so, and they're sick on top of that, that they start, these people start acting incredibly erratic. And it, like I said, it's called ICU delirium. And these people, like I had this one patient who was laying in bed and this guy was like a calm type of delirium where he he was like help you know get me up and he had his hands up and he he was hallucinating and he thought that he was hanging off on the wall and he needed help to be pushed over to the other side so he can escape so it was like a full-blown hallucination and he didn't have a history of any mental health issues any so um a lot of times when your body's under extreme stress your body just does crazy things and, and you start hallucinating you you just lose sense of reality um um and it's there's there's things like this where it's it's this guy's not taking necessarily mind altering drugs he's just very sick and uh because we've interrupted the normal process of uh, of what a human body does you know it sleeps at this time it wakes up at this time consistently while he's under this extreme stress of 
being in the hospital and being extremely sick, it just causes them to just lose sense of reality. Um, so that's, that's, you know, that's, you know, we'd say if we just saw him, if we knew nothing of this guy and we just saw him, we think, oh man, this guy's possessed. And you know, the thing is a lot of times we call things, we, especially as Christians, I realized, um, and many people, many, maybe even people in the, in the, in the outside, you know, outside the church, they would see someone or someone acting a certain way. And because they don't understand what's going on, they immediately attribute it to some spiritual or demonic oppression or uh, yeah, oppression or um, possession. But that's not always the case. You know, Uh, these, uh, and this is like one of the, this is one contra this argument against that. Um, Like when you, when you are consistently not sleeping, um, as you should, and your body's under extreme stress, the same thing will happen. You get delirious. You'll say things. It's almost like you're drunk. It, it's like you're completely drunk and you just, you lose that sober, the, this be sober minded. Like you mentioned earlier in our talk, it, we, it, we totally lose track of that. And we're no, no longer sober because of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's one thing I would say. And I'm going to have to agree with you because this morning at work, I was quite delirious myself due to <laughs> lack of sleep. Um, but <laughs> but, I'm, but uh, go ahead. I'm talking about extreme situations, you know, where I know. I know, John, I'm just I'm just trying to make my podcast funny, man. I'm just trying to get laughs. <laughs> uh, I understand what you're coming from. And uh, hey, once you get to a certain point of uh, delirium and like you said, you those walls come down and you're not sober minded, you could still open up. It's, it's the same thing as being in, intoxicated uh, with with any substance. So uh, it's it's in the same. I think it's in the same line, but, uh, you know, not exactly the same. But, you know, it all could happen. But um, as we're wrapping this episode up, John. Uh, what is one thing that you want the listeners out there to here? Let me make this broad. What is one thing you want them to know about mental health? What's one thing you want them to understand about mental health? Man, there's, there's a few things. Um, and, and I know we didn't really touch on drug use in the church, which was something that I would have loved to talk about. Um, but, um, I heard this in a sermon before is, um, um, it, there's the, the physical world is like a one is like a highway and we're all in the physical world and the spiritual world is also a one-way highway that's parallel to it. And sometimes when we, when we use drugs or sometimes, uh, drugs in this case, sometimes when we use drugs such as marijuana, I think a lot of young people in the church, youth growing up, even going on in their twenties plus thirties, they think that marijuana is a safe drug. They think it's just, you know, it's, it's a plant, man. We gotta, you know, we gotta, you know, God gave us this plant, so let's use it. Um, and the thing is, uh, marijuana has, has, has THC in there, which is a psychoactive element of it. And what a lot of people don't realize is current research that's coming out is saying and showing that the younger you are, when you start using marijuana, the higher the chance is like like it's like it's like a five time five five times more chance of developing schizophrenia and if you don't know what schizophrenia is you should google it because it's a serious thing um yeah they're using this drug thing it's healthy but while your brain is developing and using marijuana like you're just putting yourself out for you're just putting you're exposing yourself for mental illness on top of that people who use marijuana to hang out to 
to decrease their anxiety, you get to the point in life where you start training yourself to handle anxiety just by using a substance. You get to the point where your body starts to compensate, where your body doesn't, basically you can't handle regular everyday stressors anymore. So let's say you're, you, you lose the keys to your car, right? Normally it's a stressful situation. You got to go to work, you got to go hand, handle business. But you get to the point, these types of people, they get to the point where their anxiety becomes so bad that like, that they can't handle simple everyday stressors. Like, oh man, like, like I, I, I dropped a cup in the sink and, I, and they'll go berserk and they need to use a certain substance to cope. Basically, you think you're helping yourself out by, by taking that marijuana, by smoking that, but you end up doing yourself a great disservice because you can't ha- you're not going to get to the point where you can't handle any type of even simple stress. Um, that's really important. I, I just wanted to touch up on that real quick. Um, and just another thing, maybe to close it off, is there's something in, in, uh, w- that we call trauma-informed care. Um, and trauma-informed care is basically, it's used in the medical field because it's basically, it's, it's, it's a, an approach that you have on someone. So when you talk with someone, when you meet someone for the first time or when you give them medical care, what you want to do is assume that most likely people have traumas in their lives, even though you don't know hundred percent or you don't know anything about their, just assume that this person is unique and this person has had something. They're coming from an environment, a background, things were done to them, bad things, good things. So treat them with respect and, and, and be considerate of them. And I think as Christians, we can take this idea of trauma-informed care in our interactions with one another. Like, for example, we're, we're hanging out with someone and, and there's someone who's like really shy or really kind of like the outcast, socially outcast. Like we have to understand that maybe this guy just didn't have, it just wasn't, just, just had a, an upbringing where they're, they're, only, they're the only child and their parents are really old. So they never really developed socially. And that's a type of trauma. You know, that's a type of trauma that affects people. And we as youth, as, as people growing up in church, we're just like, oh, that guy's kind of weird. And we just kind of move on. But no, we, we got to have this idea, like this mindset that, hey, man, everyone has, everyone can, comes from someplace and everyone's been hurt in some one way or another. And it's, it's, it's sometimes it's negative and it comes out in their, in their day-to-day interaction. And, and we should approach these people with love and, and understanding rather than just being like, oh, he's just weird and just blow it off like that. And I think, I think that's a good thing as Christians to have in our day-to-day living. Um, just, just having that idea that we need to treat people knowing that they have a story and maybe their physical manifestations of their personality or some of their actions is because of certain traumas that were done to them. And we think of trauma as in, oh, it's, you know, you know, they're beaten as a child and, and, and all this horrible stuff. But trauma is, is not necessarily that. It's neglect. It's like not, not having someone to say, hey, you matter in life. And growing up with that cons- consistently, it will affect someone negatively. So, yeah, that's, that's something that I would, I would like people to really know and to keep in mind. Yeah, and let's hope and pray that God will continue to use us to give us the wisdom to just be a light to these people, to be encouraging, to be friendly, to to be Christ-like, because we're all part of one body, we're all part of one church, and we all serve the same God. So uh, that, and then also to wrap things up in the wise words of Stephen A. Smith, stay off the weed.
those of you who get that reference, uh, I'm sure, John, you're getting a, a giggle out of that. But, John, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, it means a lot. It's it's nice to reconnect with you. I know we saw each other for the first time last month since you moved, and it was good. And then I also promised you a steak dinner every uh, next time you come visit California. So uh, th- that'll be fun. It'll, it'll be fun. It'll be something to look forward to and possibly uh, just a stronger incentive to come visit uh, as soon as you can. So, uh, John, thank you for being on here. Um, if people want to find you on the Internet, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, they can find me on um, John Koniak. Um, J-O-N and then C-A-U-N-E-A-C. Um, yeah. And if, if you have any questions, if you're, uh, if, if you have any questions about mental health, like I, I'd be so happy to just answer with what I know. I have limited knowledge, but, you know, maybe I can help point you in a, in a certain direction, even uh, about, you know, if you're currently taking something or, you, or you're planning to take something for depression. I mean, it, this field is so broad and I mean, we just barely scratch the surface. You know, we can talk about, things in the Bible, you know, about how certain people had demonic possession, other people didn't that were healed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm willing to be a source if, if you guys want someone to talk to about that. Um, yeah. Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I'll tag your handle in my promo video. And if you want, we could even do a part two, uh, maybe a few months down the line with the uh, biblical aspect and studying those, those different things. Uh, but that'll be something that we'll leave on the table and uh, consider in the future. But as for this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at the Potter's House. Our email is thepottershouse at gmail.com. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, you can like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, again, if you have an iPhone, uh, regardless of where you listen, please go to the podcast app through iTunes on your iPhone scroll down, tap the stars, and leave a review. It really helps with the exposure of the podcast, and iTunes is a certain algorithm that, depending on the number of uh, ratings and reviews, uh, the podcast gets searched more, exposed more, and all of that. So uh, thank you again, guys. Thank you, Blessed, out there, whoever you are uh, who left the review. I appreciate it. Hopefully there are more to come. Uh, But for you listeners out there, thank you for tuning in so much, and we will see you next time.